good. Is right, it so looking okay? Is it looking okay, or should I make it a little darker? Because I got a, a different kind of light. I know you're I you're good. good. Yeah. So, all yeah. Right. yeah. All right. So we are here with Nick Van Exel on the My First Game podcast. We're going to talk about um, you know his first game as a rookie, and then get into some other questions. Uh, let's jump right into it. Were you scared or nervous that first game? <laughs> Uh, I think you're always nervous. I don't know about scared, but probably nervous. That's until, you know, you, you, you get out on the court and, and start playing. I think the buildup makes you nervous. You know, the first game into the NBA, uh, Hollywood, L.A. Uh, so that part definitely made me nervous. But once you get out on the court, the nerves kind of calm down because, you know, you've been playing basketball all your life. So it's just – just another game at the end of the day. Now, how many preseason games did you have? Uh, back then, we used to have eight preseason games. We, uh, I think we play, used to play Utah was like my first couple of games uh, over in Hawaii. And so I got a chance, like right away, got threw into the fire with John Stockton. So <laughs> <laughs> that was tough. So, I mean, back back in the day, you know, those point guards, it was every single night pretty much had to strap it on and be ready to go playing against some of those top point guards. Now, one more follow-up on that. Was there a noticeable difference between your preseason games and that first regular season game? Like, was it completely – the atmosphere completely different? Wasn't even close. Wasn't even close. It, it, it's it's kind of like – you play a preseason game and everybody's kind of getting their feet wet. You know, the veteran guys are not playing as hard, but the young players like myself was, was going extra hard. And, you know, you think you're doing something, but you're really not because they're going at like 75%. And uh, so you got your preseason, then your regular season games, it kind of, you know, picks up a little bit. And then you got the playoffs as a whole different animal. So definitely preseason to regular season is two different types of basketball. So take us into the arena. Uh, it's November 5, 1993. Um, you're standing in the tunnel about ready to, to run out on the floor for the first time. What are the sights and the smells and the sounds that stick out to you, uh, even that stay with you to today? Well, for me, it was just, it was LA. It was, it was Hollywood, you know, because when you think about it, you know, I played most of my basketball in, in the Midwest area. I was in a Grew up in Wisconsin and played at uh, Cincinnati. Did have two years stand in Texas, which uh, Trinity Valley. But the time of the uh, the weather, you know, it's, it's like November or late October. It's normally cold in the Midwest. And when you're in Hollywood and, you know, October, early November, it's freaking sunshine out there. <laughs> so that was just, that was different, you know. And, and then the time changed. It's totally different, you know, so you, you, it's still kind of a light outside when you head into the arena, all of that. I can remember all of that vividly and uh, get into the arena. I remember, you know, getting tapes, still having the butterflies because it was my first game and, and shit. I had to go up against Kevin Johnson, who was a monster back then. And, you know, going through my routine or trying to figure out a routine since I was young at the time, I really didn't have a routine yet. And, uh, just getting ready for the game, you know, trying to listen to music, 
you know, back then we had the, the big Walkmans. So <laughs> Walkman was one CD in it. So it wasn't like we had a variety of music back then. So we had that. And just getting ready for the game, trying to prepare myself because I had no idea what was about to happen. I just knew it was going to be fun and we was going to be hooping. So what was on your CD? I feel like we need to know that. Yeah. Back then, it probably was some Eric B and Rakim. And then later on, it probably, it probably was that, that Snoop Dogg first album. But uh, definitely back then, like that Eric B and Rakim, I likes to move the crowd. You know, that used to be one of my jams. Before we get into a more serious question about matching up with Kevin Johnson that first game, I'm looking at the box score. Did you ever have a goofier-looking teammate than Kurt Rambis? <laughs> Kurt was one of the best teammates I ever had, man. Kurt was a great guy. I mean, Kurt was Kurt was so damn funny. Kurt used to, you know, he used to take the damn uh, all the soaps and shampoos and toilet paper from the hotels. Go by Kurt's house. You can look in Kurt's garage. He got all kind of shit. <laughs> but Kurt was a great guy, man. He he taught me a lot. You know, he he taught me how to you know be professional. I I took a little bit from it from him. I didn't take a lot, but you know, he was just a great guy because he's been around, seen it all, done it all. You know, he he was there in the '80s, so he was he was a great mentor. So that first game you mentioned, you're going against Kevin Johnson, who's a big star at the time. You're a rookie coming in. Um, was I mean, were you nervous about that at all? Were you just excited to prove yourself? Um, was it kind of surreal when you stepped out on the floor and it was you and Kevin? Take us through that. Well, I definitely was was a little nervous, you know, for the buildup because I was a fan of KJ's, and you know, KJ he was tough. He was tough, and those guys had just made it to the finals the previous year, had beaten the Lakers, you know, come back from down 2-0 to to win the series three two. So it was a kind of little mystique there because I, I kind of looked up to him. I looked up, you know, to a lot of the guys that were in the NBA already. And KJ was definitely one of the guys I looked up to. And it was it was kind of crazy because I, I knew his game. Like, I knew he'd go through the legs and take off. Like, he was really, really quick at that. And I knew you couldn't get up on him too close because he was going to blow by you. So you would pretty much want to, you know, give him the, uh, the jump shot. And I kind of knew his game, but as the game just wore on, it, it just became like a normal basketball game. But in the beginning, definitely nervous and butterfly. So what prepared you um, going into that first game, just to be ready to be a professional athlete? Uh, you obviously had two deep runs into the NCAA tournament. Was there anything that you drew from those experiences that set you up well to be on that stage? It's just uh, the, the don't give a damn mentality about the person in front of you. You know, show no fear, you know, and, and uh, you got to strike first. If, if you don't strike first in, in that league, that, that guy that strikes first is normally going to be the guy that has a, has a better night. And I figured that out pretty quickly. So Dale Three was a uh, was, uh, he was the, the starting point guard the previous years I got, uh, before I got there. And uh, honestly, I was very lucky that the Lakers were trying to go into a different direction. So, you know, Sadell three was obviously he was better than me at the time. I was a rookie. He was a proven veteran. He used to always tell me, got to get him first. You got to get him first. He used to always tell me to try to get eight to 12 points in that first quarter to set the tone. And uh, that was one of the things that used to stick out to me, especially in that preseason. He always tell me, you got to go first. You got to go first. So, when I was playing against KJ that first game, I was a little bit overly aggressive. 
I was trying to do a little bit too much and I had to finally calm down. And it was funny because I can remember him telling me, God damn, man, God damn, man, slow your ass down, slow your ass down. <laughs> so because Adele talks real fast, but he was a, he was a great mentor, man, as well. Uh, and, and he didn't have to do it, you know, because they had, you know, pretty much gave me his job. And, you know, he, he still did a great job. He was very professional with it. So, you know, Sadell three is my guy. Uh, so what were some of your highlights personally from that first game? Uh, hmm. I can remember some trash talking for sure. It was, it was tell, a lot Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, I would, a lot I, of trash talking with uh, Charles Barkley and, of course. and, yeah. and AC, AC Green. KJ didn't say much. He didn't say much, but uh, I, I can remember uh, Charles Barkley saying one time to keep his little ass out the paint. Every time I turn around, his little ass is in the paint. Keep his little ass out the paint. And I just told him, I said, I'll be right back down. <laughs> so it was kind of that thing. And uh, I can remember I just made a, a, a floater uh, towards the uh, – in the fourth quarter at some point, I made a floater. And, and Char- I can remember because I, I kind of – when I landed, I kind of landed underneath the basket. And then when I came back up the court, Charles Barkley was kind of taking the ball out. And I can just remember him kind of just giving me that look like, you may be a pretty good player, man. You may I can just see the look that he gave me. And we kind of both looked at each other and kind of nodded a little bit. <laughs> As a rookie, seeing Charles Barkley kind of have that interaction with you, what does that mean? Does that obviously, um, you don't come in short of confidence, but does that just take you to a whole nother level? I mean, it's a, I, I don't know. It just depends on who you are. I did, because when, when you have done it for so long, it's it's like a natural thing. You know, I'm sure you guys do things that you guys have done all your lives, like a like a, a golfer. Like they, they make miraculous shots, but for them, it's just a normal shot, you know, because they've done it so much. And and for me, it's just it was just another level, you know, from playing from high school, well, from peewee to high school, you know, the junior college to the NCAA tournament. It's just something you work for and, and, and you grow into. Uh, probably the thing that was the most crazy is that you're, you're just so young. You, it's the unknown. Like, how are you going to perform? And that, that was the biggest thing. Like, how was I going to perform? Because I had been given a starting job and I, I had a good night that night. I was very lucky. <laughs> yeah, looking at your box score, you pretty much lit it up. Did you have any uh, specific lowlights to your play on that, on that night? Huh. Probably was my interview. I think I said feats in my interview. <laughs> I think I, I think I said feats and keep my body clean in my interview on TNT. So, <laughs> so look, staying on the box score here, you had three guys hit nine shots. You were nine of thirteen. Vlade was nine of fifteen. Who is Tony Smith, and why did he shoot twenty three times? Uh, Tony Smith at the time was our was our starting two guard. Uh, Tony Smith went to Marquette. Uh, another Wisconsin guy, and he uh, – He was 9 he, of 23. Yes, he, he, was, he was like a kind of a glue guy. You know, Tony will play the, the best, best offensive players. He was kind of a two-way guy. And, but t- uh, Tony was a, a, a great role player. Like, he didn't care if he came off the bench. He didn't care if he started. When Tony numbers were called, was called, he came in and performed. And uh, – Tony's another great mentor as well. So, I mean, I, I, that team we had when I was young had a lot of great veterans on it. So you say before you got to L.A., any of the guys either on the Suns or with you on the Lakers, did you know any of them previously? No, I didn't know nobody. You know, I was, you know, just a college kid. Uh, 
came from Wisconsin, didn't see a lot of uh, pro players. So, no, I didn't know any of those guys. It, all, it was all about, you know, seeing them when, when we uh, locked horns, and that, that was it. So. so why don't you take us through kind of the storyline of the game? Um, obviously, you guys ended up winning. Was it smooth sailing? No, not at all. Not at all. And it's kind of crazy because it was kind of a rematch from last season, the, the previous season, I should say, when the, uh, the Lakers were up two games to zero and a lot of trash talking was, 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 was being talked through, through the media. And the Phoenix Suns actually came back and won the next three games and won the series in the first round. So it was a buildup from, from the previous season because it got a little testy with those guys in the playoffs in that first round. I didn't have anything to do with it, but I was just thrusting <laughs> to it like right away. I'm like, why the hell are they playing so physical? You know, you go into the paint and, and AC or Childs or, you know, big Oliver Miller hitting you with an elbow, and you're like, damn. <laughs> then you, you, when you think about it, you don't think about it as a young player, but when you sit back and think about it, it's like they just had a pretty grueling series the year before where they went to – to five games and you know a lot of that animosity is still there so it was a very very physical game speaking of oliver miller um stepping <laughs> out onto the floor did you have any um holy crap i'm on the floor with this dude moments <laughs> yeah Chuck? oliver miller for sure because i don't know if you guys remember but big o had a hell of a college year i mean season i mean career he went to uh, arkansas and those guys were really good so it was kind of like when you know when you're in college, you kind of checking out your competition a little of course, bit. Yeah. And Big O was was at Arkansas, and they we kind of had the similar styles of, of play. Arkansas and Cincinnati to you know get up and pressure you, get in your face. And Big O was one of the guys. I'm like, okay, I'm on the court with Big O because I remembered him from college. So that was that was kind of cool. Um, how many tickets did you have to give the family and friends for that first game? Well, the, 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 I would say the good thing about that is it was in L.A. Now, when I went back to Wisconsin and Chicago, it was a total different ballgame. <laughs> how, how many on average would you give when you had to go play in Milwaukee? It was over 30 for Milwaukee and Chicago. Easy. Wow. Easily over 30. That's way, way more than enough shit. So how, how, back then, how did you go about – did you have to go to other guys and ask to swap out tickets uh, that weren't yeah. using them? Yeah, you because you, you know a lot of times in Milwaukee, you know, uh, people w wouldn't be from there, you know. But Tony Smith was actually from Milwaukee. I was from uh, Kenosha, and so the tickets you would scrum some from some of the players, or you know, hopefully the PR guy would have some extras. But for the most part, you're probably gonna have to pull out that credit card. <laughs> So who was your coach on opening night? Did he give you any specific uh, tips, suggestions, anything more than just kind of the, the typical game plan going in? Well, it was, it was Randy Fun was, was my coach, the rookie, my rookie season. He had, uh, I think he took over for, I, I want to say Pat Riley or Dunnaby. One Might've been Mike Dunnaby. Might've taken over for Mike Dunnaby. And yeah, he was he was my my head coach, and he just used to always try to just tell me to relax. That was his biggest thing: relax and breathe, relax and breathe, relax and breathe. So he kind of knew that I was thrust into a situation where Magic Johnson. I mean, let's be honest: Magic Johnson was one of the greatest point guards of all time, and I was kind of you know coming in behind him, a new era, changing changing the guard and all this and that. And he just told me to relax. One one thing uh, 
another thing he always used to tell me is don't pay attention to the media. You know, you're going to have good games. You're going to have bad games. No matter what, the media is not going to be your friend. So just kind of stay even keel. Don't get too high with the highs. Don't get too low with the lows. So he used to give me some good talks for sure. So with that first game specifically, the biggest, the biggest name on the floor was probably Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said he was talking a little bit. Do you remember him saying anything else? I mean, was he throwing elbows at you? I, I, how did he treat you as a first game rookie? Like a rookie. Like a rookie. <laughs> no, seriously, like Charles didn't give a damn. Like Charles, one of the nicest persons off the court you would ever meet. But on the court, like you didn't like him. And, and he didn't like anybody that wasn't on his team. You know, he would hit you with little cheap shots. He was, was hitting Blotty and Eldon with little, little cheap elbows. Not anything to hurt you, but just to let you know, hey, I'm here. Pay attention, you know. He, so anytime back in, the, back in the day, so anytime you make a cut through the lane, checking was allowed. And checking was once you made that cut, the biz can hit you with an elbow. And I didn't know much about that at the time because I had came from college. And in college, they blow the whistle over every little thing in college. But once you get to the NBA, it's a little bit more physical. So uh, one of the first times I, I go down the lane and make make my cut, Charles is kind of like at the elbow area with his man. And you just running by him. And the last thing you expect is somebody to hit you with a chicken wing. And so you get hit with the chicken wing. You're like, damn. <laughs> like, damn. So you got to run all the way through. You can't stop. You know, you, you got to run through and you got to take it. But after a while, you, you get used to it, you know, and you kind of navigate through it or not go as close to those bigs to try to, you know, make that, make that, uh, make that little elbow a little softer if you can. So let's get back to the, to the flow of the game. Um, for you personally, did you start the game out on fire? How did the game progress for you personally? Uh, like, like I said, Sadell told me to go out early. So... I tried, I tried to go out early and, and, and be aggressive early in the game, but I think more, I think I did a little bit more of a damage in that fourth quarter. Uh, I think I played a lot better in the fourth quarter, played under control, got, got more points. But uh, I think I tried to start the game off a little early. So that was one of the biggest things I picked up from Sedell 3. So you, you made reference to it earlier, but following in the footsteps of Magic Johnson, uh, Norm Nixon, did you feel any additional pressure? None, because I knew who they were. I knew who I was. I, I knew I was never going to surpass Magic Johnson. I wasn't even, wasn't even trying to do that. I wanted to, you know, try to create a, a, a lane for myself. Uh, Lakers had won five championships, been to, what, eight out of ten finals in the 80s. What the hell am I going to My little six-foot-one, 175. <laughs> I just got to play good, you know, and, and, and build a name for myself, try to – Keep keep the Lakers in the playoffs. Try to keep them relevant. Uh, other than that, I, I wasn't trying to trying to be those guys. I knew I wasn't gonna, you know, do the things that Magic Johnson did. So to, for for me personally, it wasn't any pressure. Do you remember the final score of the game? No, I don't. I want to say we won by five points. I maybe won by eight. Won by eight. Okay. Uh, I think I had 23 and eight. Yep. K, KJ, KJ had 22 and nine. Yep. I think, yeah. Uh, someone, someone on the floor had 38 and 11. That probably was Sir Charles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 
I mean, going off of that, one more quick question. Did did you get teed up in that game at all? I, I probably got teed up in every game I played. <laughs> How many? So we're going to get to it later. You ended up on the on that Trailblazers team with quite a few characters. But uh-huh. and that was a lot of technicals, but I I don't specifically remember you getting a lot of technicals, did you? Yeah, I did, man. Because, you know, <laughs> the the you know, refereeing, you know, I'm I'm so glad it's changed a little bit that they can go and and look at calls and calls can get overturned because it's just it, it back then it was it was just a, a a league of the superstar, you know. So Charles would get all the calls. MJ when he came back would get all the calls. The, the top players would get all the calls. And me personally, I always felt that if I'm on the court with whoever it is. We're at a level playing field. I don't care about nobody's name or anything, but that that wasn't how it was. You pretty much had to respect the the, the veteran players who were really really good, the superstar players. I should say. Did you have any overlap with Tim Donahue, the official? Did I have a what? Did you have overlap with Tim Donahue? Did he call any of your games? Oh, uh, he he was he was terrible. Tim was terrible. <laughs> like, did you guys know something was up with him? Or you just thought I mean, you were just mad official? I mean, just you 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 always question things as players. You know, you always question things. And, you know, and and I read – I actually read his book. And to me, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't yeah. surprise me that, you know, some of the things he was saying in his book that that went on in the league with the things that he did, yeah. you know, which, which, which is terrible because, you know – Guys are out there competing, wanting to win, and you, and you got a, a, a – It's livelihood, too. I mean, you're playing for yeah, contracts. Yeah, jobs, everything. And you got, you know, one referee out there doing, you know, fishy stuff. And mm-hmm. one thing about the, the basketball or any sports in general, it's you're, you're in a – when you're playing. So when something like that comes up and it's a bad call or whatever, your, your, your emotions take over. You know, and it's easy for a referee to just sit there and laugh at you, give you a tech, throw you out the game. <laughs> there ain't no repercussions for them. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, Tim was a he was a tough referee, man. He uh, he was one of the tough guys, if you want to call him that. Yeah. So after the game, you get back to the locker room. Was there a sense of relief that the first one is over and you can kind of move forward from there, or how, what was that like for you? You know what? I I don't even know if it was relief because I don't know if we played the next night or not. So you know, I would definitely have to look at and see if we played the next night. But I don't know because those games come so fast and they come <laughs> a lot. Yeah, and you just have to be ready every single night. So. I don't. I don't even remember much of it. I just remember doing that post game interview, and that everything else is just like a blur. Do you have any ideas uh, as far as your teammates' reaction to your performance, putting up such a such a great line, uh, especially coming out of the second round? Right. Yeah. I remember Eldon, my guy Eldon, his big old stiff butt. He's, he's <laughs> you don't feel it because he was straight California. You don't feel it. You may be all right, young fella. You may be all right, young fella. <laughs> I can remember him saying that, but uh, I think I think some of the players were, you know, impressed. I think they also wanted to see if I would do it again, if I would live up to, you know, that first game hype because it could be just first game hype. So, did you have any lessons from that first game that you ended up carrying with you either through the rest of that year or through the rest of your career? 
Uh, one thing I did realize were the games were a lot longer. And, you know, you can go up 10 or 12 points early in that first quarter, and you can be down 10 or 12 points at halftime. Right. So you kind of had to kind of pace yourself. I, I do remember that, that it was it's like – it's like a roller coaster. It's like an up and down game with a lot of emotions in it. And uh, yeah, that's one thing I took for me from that first game was like, oh, you know, you may go on a little run to where you, your, your team goes up, you know, 35 to, to, to 15 or 35 to 20. And next thing you know, it's a tie ball game. So you got to really stay, stay cool, stay even kill and not, not get too high once it starts going good for you. So as a kid, were you the uh, the type that dreamed of being a professional ball player? No, I didn't. My, at what, my, at what point did that become a reality for you? Yeah, my my first dream was uh, playing in the NCAA tournament. I love college basketball, man. Like that was the biggest thing. Like the 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 thrill of victory, agony of defeat. The song they would play after the uh, NCAA tournament. I'm all sure the other, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the upsets, the, the the big shots. And it seemed like it always happened in March Madness, the craziest shit ever. March Madness was the craziest sporting event ever. And that was one of my biggest goals was to play in uh play division one basketball, make it to the tournament so my family and friends can see me. So I did that. And then uh what was this what was the second part of that question? At what point did becoming a professional ball player become a you know reality yeah. for you? So I went to JUCO, still didn't think about, <laughs> still didn't think about playing uh, uh, NBA basketball. But after my junior year at Cincinnati, we went to the Final Four. And uh, not even at that time, went to the Final Four. Uh, the whole summer, you know, leading up to, the, to my senior year, now you start seeing the publications in the magazine. That's when I first started to realize that, hey, I may have a shot. You know, teams used to come uh, – we had a couple guys who were NBA uh, teams. We're looking at Herb Jones, Anthony Griffith, who were our seniors, my junior at Cincinnati. So we would always – before every game, we would always go look at the table and see which teams were, were, were in the building tonight. And, uh, yeah, probably not till you know, preseason, my senior year. That was when I really started to think about it. So from that point, uh, did the dream of – or the experience of running out there on the first, you know, before the first game, did the uh, experience when it actually happened live up to the hype that you had, you know, maybe built it up in your head? Yeah, it definitely was. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in myself because I didn't really take advantage of the, the, the Hollywood, the L.A. thing. You know, I didn't take advantage of that because that just wasn't my thing. You know, I was more of a Midwestern kind of laid back kind of a guy and Hollywood was Hollywood. Hollywood was, mm. you know, the Midwest, you know, we in the tractor trailers, you know, <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, LA, you know, you got Arsenio Hall on the side, on the sidelines. You got, uh, you got red, red hot chili peppers. You got Jack, you got uh, Diane Cannon, you know, Magic had just retired. He, I mean, there's so many stars that, when you first run out, it's like, well, not when you run out, it's when you finally get a chance to sit on the bench and somebody that's been on the bench is hitting you 
so-and-so here, so-and-so's here. And you just start to realize, but then you got to snap the hell out of it because you're looking <laughs> like, damn, I forgot that Kevin Johnson worried about I can't <laughs> worry about all this other shit going on. So, but I wish I would have taken advantage of, of the opportunities that uh, was, was given to me out there for sure. Yeah, I always wondered if, if guys would be looking at all the celebs to you know see what was going on. Another question I had, why the high socks? Was there any reason for the high socks? I think I changed that when I, I – I used to have knee surgeries. And when I had knee surgery, I wanted to keep my legs warm. So, you know, back then it wasn't tights up under your shorts. You couldn't do all of that stuff. So I just started wearing high socks just to try to give my knees comfort, keep them warm. Um, we have – so a friend of mine here, Rob, he's a big-time basketball fan. 90s, 2000s, he knows it all. He came up with a couple questions. I said I'd give him two questions. The first one was the free throws. Now, I know that you would step back on your free throws. I seem to remember you also shooting at an angle. Is that true? Did you ever shoot nah. at an angle? No, nah, I, I, I shot straight. I shot okay, straight, you were just it, further it back. back. Yeah, okay, so back. what was the reasoning behind that? Well, in Denver, I think it was, a, it was at a point where I was shooting like low 70s from the free throw line. And – I just said one day that like I'm I'm more of a of a deep shooter than I am a mid range shooter. Like I I'd rather shoot a three point shot than a mid range shot. I just felt more comfortable. Breach. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, so you wanted them, huh? I don't believe. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. So I just one day in practice, I just stepped back and it just felt so much more comfortable, and I just stuck with it the rest of my career. Because I used to always hit the back rim when I missed. It was always hitting the back rim. So I said, man, just step back and see what happens. So made a big difference for sure. And Rob's other question uh, takes us to Boston. Boston Garden, you hit the, the game winner to shut it down last Laker ever to, to mm -hmm. score there. Take us into that moment. I know Kyle has some fond memories of that one. I would, a after that shot, I went out into my driveway. I'm a righty, but I went out in my driveway and I tried recreating it left-handed and everything. <laughs> screaming into the crowd like I tried to get it down. It took me forever. <laughs> but eventually I did it with nobody watching. I went in and yeah. told my dad. I was like, I hit the Van Axel shot. <laughs> Sweet. So the, the, the buildup to that was so crazy because, again, the referees tried to take it from us. So literally. So I think we were winning, and then Boston makes a run. And it comes down to, like, the last few seconds of the game. And I have the ball, like, right in front of our bench. Guy clearly knocks it out of my – clearly. And they ended up giving Boston the ball. And so, Dale Harris is going crazy. I'm going crazy. And so, Dale draws up the play, uh, fake like I was going uh, to the free throw line and set a screen, then pop back to the sideline real quick, catch it, and just turn and throw that shit up and, and pray <laughs> it goes in. And, and luckily it went in for us. And you can see Dale, Dale was saying, I, I, like, if you ever remember that clip, Dale, is, he's, he's talking about the referees. Because saying right ball don't lie like she. <laughs> Pretty much. He was right in front of our, the play was right in front of our bench where they knocked the ball out of my hands and they gave it to them. But Dale Harris is walking around pointing and I'm just going crazy. So, yeah, that was a great moment right there. Uh, did you have any heads up that Jay-Z was going to name drop you in a song? No, zero, zero. Who told uh, – how did you first find out? I found out from a friend, from a friend, and uh, 
when I first heard it, I, I didn't really like songs and really, you have to listen to them over and over. So they kind of grow on you a little bit. So I really had to listen to the song a few times before I started grooving to it. <laughs> and uh, I, I had went to, uh, well, first he called me after we lost to the Spurs in 03. Uh, game six, I got leaving, uh, getting into to the vehicle, about to take off, and somebody runs up to me, says Jay Z wants to talk to you. I'm like, damn, hope not hope. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, damn. <laughs> so he, you know, he was just opening up his forty forty club in New York, and uh, he asked me if I wanted to, you know, come. I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. So you know, he invited me to the forty forty. Me and uh, Michael Finley. Uh, one of my good friends and teammate at the time, we went to the opening of that. And, you know, it was great, man. I mean, that, that, that song, when I first heard it in the club was, uh, I think I was actually, uh, I want to say, I want to say Dallas at the time, like after, after the, the game and they just kept playing it like on a loop, just over and over and over. I'm like, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know too much about, uh, you know, your name being dropped in the song. Well, nobody dropping my name in no damn song. So, you know, once he find, once he did it and then I finally heard it, like, in the clubs, I'm like, man, I should have been a rapper or something, man. That shit was crazy. Was, and, and I had forgotten about it, but my, my wife was, it was a few nights ago, maybe a bit longer, and the song came on and she's like, I knew I've heard Van Exel in a song. And I was like, well, yeah, it was Jay-Z. <laughs> Yeah, yep. I want to ask about um, a few a few of your teammates um, that you played with. Before we get into that, real quick, what is the NBA All Star experience like? Uh, again, like man, I was I was just a different individual. Like for me, I wasn't that wasn't big for me. You know, uh, did I want to make the team? I, I I wanted to make the team before I made the team. You know, so I thought I had a kind of better years that I should have been on the team before I actually made the team. So, and then, you know, to go to New York, you know, one of the, the Mecca of basketball, that was kind of surreal. It was kind of surreal. Again, I wish I would have taken advantage of it, but you know, me, I just wanted to go to practice, get the hell out of there and, and go get some drinks and have some fun. <laughs> you know, so that, that was, that was pretty much me when it came to stuff like that. Uh, the experience was kind of, it's kind of like, everything is dark around you and it's just a bright light on you. You know, it's like everybody's watching you. Everybody's watching you. And, you know, being on the floor with, with whew, MJ, Shaq, a young Kobe, uh, the top players in the game. It's like, so that was what, that was 98, right? You were an all-star. Yeah. It's, a lot it's of like, talent. 98. <laughs> oh yeah. my God. It's like, wow. Tim Hardaway coming at you talking shit when he crossed you up. Uh, Penny Hardaway. <laughs> Oh man, it was it was a great game. Uh, we got our butts kicked, but that experience was was lovely. So I have four teammates I want to ask about, and if you can just something brief on all on uh, each of them. What was it like playing with Magic? Uh, it was kind of like going to school and learning because Magic was so good. He was always in teach mode, you know, because. Each decade, it's a different era, and it's a different game. You know, the 80s played a, a certain style. And when we got to, you know, the 90s, it changed into a different style. 
you know, 2000s different style. And right now we see it's a totally different style. So Magic was always teaching. He was always asking questions. He felt that no question was a bad question. So that's one thing I learned from Magic is, is to always be cerebral and, and know everything that's going on around you. And he was really good at that. Shaq? Uh, Shaq, most dominant big man of all time. Uh, most dominant big man I've ever played with by far. Uh, a, a monster on the court. Will will buy somebody on the street a, a vehicle to help him get his, his business started. You know, one of the nicest guys off the court that you ever want to meet. Kobe. Uh, Kit Cole, rest in peace, man. Kobe. Kobe was a at at that time. Like I always tell people, like I just remember Kobe, like always walking into the gym, like you know, with his head up in the clouds, like <laughs> kill this league, like like when 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 I sit back and think about it, like my 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 approach to basketball was like, you know, I want to hoop, have fun, you know, I want to win. Kobe's approach was, I want to hoop. I want to have fun. I want to win. I want to, you know, tear your heart out. I'm going to stump on your heart. Uh, I'm going to dunk on you. <laughs> you know, he just had a, he just had a lot more to it. You know, I was like way down here with it. Kobe was like, you know, way up there with it. And that was at, at a young age, you know, fresh out of high school saying that, you know, I'm the best one-on-one -on -one basketball player in the NBA, you know, fresh out of high school, six, eight crazy handles. Uh, and, and the work ethic was unbelievable. Uh, no, nobody worked harder than COVID that I've seen in my 13 years as an NBA player. So you played for several different coaches over the course of your career, but you had the chance to play for an absolute legend. Um, what's it like playing for Greg Popovich? Uh, Pop was great, man. I just wish, you know, sometimes you can have a coach like that early in your career, mm -hmm. not on your way out. Yep. Uh, he was just a great teacher, man. He, he, he would talk about, you know, he would, we would go to practice and, you know, he would call us into the uh, film room and he would read a USA Today article about something, you know, read the whole article. And then we'd go out and practice. And it, it was it was repetition like that. He just let you know that basketball is just a game. You know, there's a lot of other important things in life, you know, than just basketball. So keep that in perspective. And his X's and O's, of course, were, were some of the best that we've ever seen. Uh, that, that organization, what they did with it, you know, especially when they drafted Timmy, they just kept getting better and better and better, you know, with their big three with Manu and, and, and Tony. And, and Pop molded those guys into some winners, man. Pop was he's a, he's a great guy. Now, before we get to the last question, um, you your time with the Nuggets and your time with the Blazers, you were on some pretty interesting rosters. You had some mm -hmm. serious personalities on there. Um what was it like on the – so I'm looking at one Nuggets roster with the great Rafe LaFrance. I'm mm -hmm. kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, I see Avery Johnson was on that. You played with Avery Johnson in Denver. Was, mm -hmm. was he a talker 24-7? Uh, 25-8. 25-8. <laughs> I mean, would he, would he ever drive you nuts? No, no. A Avery is my man. You know, we, you know, I helped him start his Bible studies for, for NBA teams. Uh, you're just a good guy, man. A good guy you wanted to be around, you know. Avery was was a guy that, that was always about the right thing. You know, he wanted players to do the right thing, players to say the right thing, because he knew basketball wouldn't last forever. And that's what he tried to tell, you know, young players like myself. Like, you know, you got to 
you know, talk to people a certain way, respect everybody, things like that, you know, because at some point you never know when you may need somebody. So Avery was like a father figure like that, a big brother. So I, I grew up in kind of somewhat the Denver area, and I would go to those Nuggets games too. You had Chris Anderson, Birdman, on those teams. At that time, he was like clean cut with a flat top, right? No tattoos. Yeah, no tattoos at all. Oh, that had to be something. And then with the Blazers teams, I mean, you had you had Ruben Patterson who called himself the Kobe Stopper. You had Zebo on those teams, Damon Stoudemire. The one I want to ask about, I want to know what the confidence level of Bassie Telfair was. So Sebastian Telfair, who came in as a huge name, um, was a point guard just like you. He came out of Lincoln High School in New York. Did he come in with a ton of confidence, or was he actually like a little skittish? No, he came in with a ton of confidence for yeah. sure because you have you have to you know, and he hadn't been uh, he hadn't been tested because when he was in high school he was just dominating. Right. So he he has nothing but confidence, right? Because he don't know anything else, <laughs> that, you know. And Bassie Bassie was good, man. Bassie was good. I just wish that they wouldn't have thrown him out there so fast. I think he could have learned a lot for myself and Damon by just that, that kind of watching and, and developing. But they wanted to throw him out there too fast, man. And one thing about the NBA is, you know, you can have a good little run, but you better be able to back it up, you know, once that run is over because teams are going to find out what you like going to make you do something different. They're going to find out your best move. They're going to take that away from you. You're going to have to find something different. And I think that was the, that was the toughest part for Bassie. I think he got it later on in his career. But as he was young, he started to get, you know, traded from team to team. And, you know, the, the, the pressure was so crazy for him because he came in, you know, straight out of high school as a point guard. And it's tough in that league, man. The, the point guard is the hardest position. And, and Bassie, I thought he could have he learned a lot for myself and Damon for sure. So the last question, the one that we, we are, you know, contractually obligated to ask, your relationship at this point with iced coffee has become the stuff of <laughs> legends. Two-part questions. <laughs> Two-part question. What made you just up and try it? And second off is how often does that come up in your day-to-day life at this point? Oh, man. We, we, we need to do a podcast on this shit, man. Just straight iced coffee. Iced coffee with Nick Van Exel. I'm telling you, I, I got this brand, right, that uh, I just tried it two nights ago. A guy called me, said, man, come try this brand out. And like a little can like this mm-hmm. off the chain. I would show them to you, but I don't want to put it out there yet. We got to wait till we get a contract. Yeah, no free, That's no right, free yeah. ads. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it is, it is so good. So I was uh, going to play golf one day, and I was a little sluggish. It was an afternoon round. Little sluggish, so I said, man, I need something, man. I, I don't know what the hell to get to. And I don't want to, I didn't want to drink a Red Bull. So I, I stopped at, I want to say, was it Burger King or Sonic? One of them. And I, I tried to off iced coffee for the very first time. Very first time. And I'm like, damn, this shit is good. <laughs> so I'm dead serious because, you know, when, when, when you're a coach, like coaches drink coffee like it's just going out of style, right? Just, to, But for me... I couldn't drink it like that because I sweat so damn much. So when you're sitting there drinking hot ass coffee in a meeting in a, in a little ass room, you know, you say, everybody, what the hell are you sweating for? I'm like, I just want coffee, mom. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I said, man, well, let me try this iced coffee, man. So, man, when I tried that shit, it was so freaking good. 
And I never in a million years thought that that little video I did and put it on Twitter, I never in a million years thought it was going to do that. Oh, it blew up. That was so crazy. So (laughs) crazy. So I tried that shit, man. And I drink it kind of a lot right now. (laughs) And and I'm always over, you know, all over the place trying all kind of different kind of coffees, uh, iced coffees and shit. So, yeah, but we got this one little can, man. I hope we can get something done, man. We're going to do something on some iced coffee, man. So um, before we get out of here, can you kind of just fill everybody in on what you're doing currently with uh, coaching and everything? Uh, I'm, I do some uh, pro personnel scouting for the Dallas Mavericks right now. Uh, so that's, that's been going pretty good. Uh, get to go to games, watch games, watch the talent, you know, write reports about the game and about the talent and uh, talk on the phone to the Mavs execs. And uh, it's a pretty good job. Do you think Luca is going to end up being an all-time great? Really? I'm saying top. <laughs> I'm saying top five. Will he be a top five player ever? With, with it's very possible. It is very possible really? because the the style of play is perfect for him. He has the perfect game for that. You know, he he rebounds. He he makes his players better. He makes shots, and he can finish with the best of them. So I mean, twenty-one years old. If 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 he basically stayed, averaged thirty, ten, and ten. Ooh, I mean, if if he stays injury-free, man, the the we're gonna be talking about Luca for a long, long, long time. My biggest question with him is it's kind of and it and it, it it could be you know an inaccurate uh, description now, but it's always been the foreign guys could be a little soft. So I wanted to see when someone stepped up to him how he would react. We kind of saw that this playoffs, and uh, he reacted pretty well. Oh, for sure he did, you know, but, you know, Luca has been trained since he was 12 years old playing against grown grown men. Mm-hmm. And he's been battle-tested, you know, plenty of times over and over and over. So he was pretty much ready for it. And he expected that in that series. He knew that they were going to come at him and challenge him. But now, you know, our, our challenge as, a, as an organization is to get somebody else to go you know, be that tough guy for Luca, so Luca yeah. can just sit back and chill while everything else is going on. Need an Oak or a Rodman or yeah, an Anthony Mason. Yeah, we need Luca in the game in that fourth quarter. We can't be, you know, messing around with that. You need someone to come take care of Marcus Morris. Is what you need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so right. Yeah. Th- thanks for joining us. Um, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot from you on the Athletes Media Group kind of platform altogether. Um. You, you kind of teased a potential partnership with Ice Coffee. We're excited to hear about that. And thanks for – are there any parting thoughts or words you have on that first game that you want to get out there? Uh, no, nah, it was it was just like uh, – it was Hollywood, you know, first time playing in Hollywood. Nervous as hell before the game. Once you run out there and the, the lights are so bright, you know, I, I just vividly remember being at home, watching on my black and white TV how – how LA the, the the form used to just be bright as hell that night. I mean, it was just super bright in that arena. And then when you finally go in there, it's not as bright, but it's bright. Like when you're there, actually, it's not as bright, but it's bright because of the floor makes the light. You know, it's just crazy the way it hits. And then just just the stars align. You know, on those sidelines, man, the atmosphere was electric. So. Man, that that was one game I don't think I'll ever forget. I wish I had more memories. Maybe I'll act like I don't have a tape and go watch the tape that I do have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate the time.
Yes, sir, man. Appreciate you guys. All right. All right. All right. That All right. went. Let me hit the stop recording.